you help us as we look at your word together, uh, that you will speak to us, uh, that you will, uh, these words that your spirit gave through that uh, preacher uh, so many years ago, uh, that he would be uh, bringing those words to our hearts. May he enable me to preach your word rightly and faithfully uh, in your strength. Uh, and may he work in each of our hearts. May he point us to Jesus uh, and enable us to live lives uh, in fear of you. And so we commit this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people work very hard to try to earn their way to heaven. They do all kinds of good things and avoid all kinds of bad things in order to do that. You might know people like that. In fact, you might be one. On the other hand, there are people who just don't care about that kind of thing. They've thrown morality out. They live, they're feel perfectly free to indulge in what this first group of people would term immoral behavior. You may know people like that. Might even be one. Well, in our passage today, the Holy Spirit, through the preacher who wrote it, shows us the problem with both of these approaches and shows us an alternative way, which is better by far. The passage today starts with a problem. I see the last thing we saw in our passage last week was that God is the author of life circumstances. It's there in verse 14. God made prosperity and adversity, one as well as the other. It's all in his hands. And so you would expect that the righteous would be rewarded with prosperity and the wicked would be punished with adversity. But it's not always like that. And that's a big issue for the preacher. In verse 15 he says, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing." Now, the righteousness the preacher is talking about here is not the positional righteousness, not the status of being right with God uh, through faith in Christ. It's about being morally good. And as we see from the context, it seems that this righteousness comes from a desire to, to reap its reward, to get the blessings that you're meant to get to come from it. And in this case, long life. But here's a righteous man, and he dies. And here's a wicked man, and he lives. That is vanity. If that's going to happen, then what's the point of being righteous? You may as well say, in verse 16, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Or another way of translating the last bit is, Why should, why should you let yourself be horrified, appalled, confounded? If you're getting yourself righteous in order to get the rewards of being righteous... You're setting yourself up for disappointment. If you're wise for the sake of the rewards of wisdom, you're going to be appalled because the rewards may not come. And you may see a wicked man getting them instead. On the other hand, it doesn't mean you should throw caution to the wind and, and live in reckless evil. That, that will lead you to ruin. Verse 17. Be not overly wicked, Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So what should you do? Verse 18. 
It is good that you should take hold of this and from that not withhold your hand. The this and the that uh, in verse 18 there is his two pieces of advice. Not to be overly righteous in order to gain the rewards of righteousness because that will leave you appalled and confounded and disappointed. But not to be a wicked fool because that will lead to destruction. So what's the solution? Well, the solution the preacher gives is not a middle way. It's not a moderation in all things kind of philosophy. It's not, let's have a healthy balance of righteousness and wickedness. No, the solution, verse 18, is to fear God. Verse 18 says, but the one who fears God shall come out, that is, escape from both of them. The one who fears God will escape from being confounded on the one hand with the one who pursues righteousness for its reward, and who will escape on the other hand from the punishment of the wicked. So, avoid excessive righteousness on the one hand, wickedness on the other, and instead, fear God. But why can't righteousness and wisdom deliver? Why can't they achieve what they seem they ought to uh, achieve? Well, in verses 19-24, the preacher talks to us more about righteousness and wisdom. Uh, he does it in two brackets. He puts the, the, the outer bracket, he talks about wisdom, and in the middle, he talks about righteousness. But we're going to take it thematically. Let's look what he says about wisdom first. Now, you might think he's about to disparage wisdom because he's just said not to be too wise. But he doesn't. Wisdom is good. In fact, wisdom will generally keep you safe. Verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Our problem is not with wisdom. The problem is true wisdom is elusive. Even if, like the preacher, you are determined to achieve it, like the preacher, you will fail. Verse 23, 24, we go down to the second part of the bracket. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it? The problem with wisdom is that you can't be properly wise. You can't work out what are God's plans and purposes for the world by yourself. God purposely made it that way. Even if as you're as wise as you can, you cannot be wise enough. And what about righteousness? Well, in verse 20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Oh, come on, you might say. I, I'm, I'm pretty righteous. I do good, not evil. I keep the Ten Commandments. Okay, the preacher says, Righteous man, righteous woman, I have a problem for you. It's a good one because righteous people sometimes, you know, have bad things, right? I'm sure you've had the experience of people saying bad things about you. Of course you have, you poor thing. Right, here's the proverb, verse 21. Don't take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Okay? People have loose tongues. They say all kinds of terrible things, right? Actually, sometimes better you don't hear because it will get you down. You know what it's like. People get carried away. 
say all kinds of things they don't really mean. They might even call you all kinds of things, but they don't actually mean you to hear it. And in fact, they'd be quite embarrassed if you found out. But you know what it's like, don't you? I mean, you've done that as well, haven't you? You said things about people that you wouldn't want them to hear. Of course you have. Verse 22, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others, right? Right. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Not even you. So righteousness doesn't deliver because no one's properly righteous anyway. Wisdom doesn't deliver because no one's properly wise. But the answer we've already heard is not in wickedness. And the preacher knows this because he's explored it. Verse 25. I turn my heart to know and search out and seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. What does he discover? Verse 26. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. This is the classic wisdom picture of the adulteress. Right? But she stands for the lure of wickedness of all sorts. And sin can be very attractive. But she's a trap. She entices her man and chains him as her captive. That is wickedness. Now, the man who is caught in adultery with her ruins his life. Friends, adultery is folly, isn't it? It is utter stupidity. If you're involved, wake up and repent. If you're in danger of getting involved, run away quickly. Cut it out while you can. But it's not just talking about adultery. It's talking about wickedness of all kinds. Corruption. Stealing. Pornography. Domestic violence. Illicit drugs. Excessive drinking. Gambling. Lies. Sexual immorality. If you're involved, wake up and repent. If you're in danger of getting involved, run away quickly. It is folly to fall into these things. If you need help, get help. He who pleases God, the preacher says in verse 26, escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. You may not want to be overly righteous on the one hand, but you don't want this. It will bring you to ruin. The preacher can't discover the, the secret of wisdom, but he can see very clearly the folly of wickedness. And so should we. So the preacher's worked out that righteousness and wisdom don't deliver because no one measures up to them. He's worked out that wickedness and folly don't really pay in the end. But he still hasn't worked out the whole picture. He's still not satisfied. Why the righteous man perishes in his righteousness and the wicked man prolongs his life. He's still trying to find meaning. And as he looks and he looks, he stumbles across another thing in verse 27. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. 
to which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found? What's he discovered? One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Well, that's hard to understand, isn't it? He searches for meaning to the problem of righteous suffering, and he finds one person. And we don't know anything about that person, except that he's a man. That's all we know. Who is this man? How can he be the answer to this preacher's search? Preacher doesn't say. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he just sees him dimly, but not clearly enough to describe. And so he just goes back to his general conclusion about humankind. As he searches for understanding behind what the world is, why everything is the way it is, why you've got this righteous perishing and the wicked going on, and there's only one piece of jigsaw puzzle he can say for certain, and that's in verse 29. See, this alone I've found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. We know from Genesis that God made everything very good, but we also know that we've rebelled against God, we've disobeyed Him, we've gone our own way, and many things a preacher doesn't know, but he can say the world is like it is because of sin. So what then does the preacher conclude for his, for his readers? Remember, the problem is that righteousness and wisdom don't always seem to get the reward you expect from them. Wickedness doesn't always get the punishment you expect for it. Part of the answer is there's no one truly righteous and no one truly wise. So they shouldn't really expect the rewards of righteousness. Part of the answer is the world is like it is because of sin. Part of the answer, still elusive. Part of man, that's all we know. So practically speaking, what should the readers of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, what should the readers of Ecclesiastes do? Well, here what's, here's what the Spirit-inspired preacher says to them. Don't try to win your reward. Don't try to get God to bless you and give you long life by being righteous, since there is no one really righteous. Don't think you can save yourself and give yourself long life by being wise, because wisdom is too elusive for us. Now, what wisdom you have is good. It's better than no wisdom. It gives you a measure of security, but you can't get true wisdom. Don't try so hard to be righteous or wise. You can't get it anyway. It will only lead to disappointment. But don't be wicked. That will lead you to ruin. Instead, fear God. Fear God. To fear God is to know who He is to reverence and trust him for his majesty and holiness and then order your life in light of that. And when you fear God, ah, that is the way to live. And so we realize the fear of the Lord, that is what we really need. Rather than chasing after righteousness or wisdom on the one hand, falling into wickedness or folly on the other, the Old Testament believers should foster the fear of the Lord. Now, as New Testament believers, we have a bigger perspective, don't we, than the preacher. Now, the preacher is talking about life under the sun. It's not life without God, because the conclusion is to fear God. But it's life as if this life is all there is. It's life without the gospel. It's life without knowing about the resurrection. 
He's adopting a limited perspective and speaking in light of that. Now, this is still part of the Spirit's inspired word, but the Spirit has also shown us many other things in the Bible. doesn't negate what he's saying here, but life under the sun, this advice here, actually applies well when it's transposed to the New Testament context of life in the kingdom. So let's try to think very clearly about what's the same for us and what's different. It's still true that there is no one righteous, isn't it? Uh, we see that repeated in the New Testament. Uh, it's one of, this is one of the Old Testament passages that Paul was probably alluding to in our New Testament reading today in Romans 3 to show us that all have sinned. There is no one righteous, not even one. And it's true, and it's still true, that, all, that, 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 that wisdom is elusive. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. He says in Ephesians that the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, darken in their understanding. The sinful human heart is foolish, not wise. Our minds are affected by sin. God has set things up so that true wisdom will not be found by human beings, by ourselves. We cannot know, we cannot work out the scheme of things. We cannot work out God's plans and purposes. But there is one exception to all this. The preacher found one man but couldn't say anything about him. But we have seen one man in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We have seen a true wise man. And we have seen that this true wise man is also the only true righteous man. And he is the one in whom all God's plans and purposes are actually revealed. And yet Jesus Christ, the perfectly righteous and wise one, perished young in his righteousness. But it wasn't vanity. There was a purpose to that. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our unrighteousness and our culpable ignorance. He bore the wrath that we deserved. He paid the debt that we owed. He, he took our place under God's curse so that we can be saved in spite of our evil doing. The righteous man perished in his righteousness to do the will of God. But this one perfectly righteous man was raised from the dead and exalted as the ruler of all. And so in the bigger perspective, God has brought justice for this righteous man. And not only that, Jesus will return to judge the world. And therefore, in the bigger perspective, the wicked person who prolongs his life in evil doing will not get away with it forever. The answer to the preacher's problem ultimately is in this one man, Jesus Christ. So how should we live now that Christ has come? Well, now that Christ has died and risen again, we live in light of eternity. Life now is important, but we know now it's not so important. Far more important than long life is eternal life. Far more important than if the righteous die young or the wicked live long is where they and we will spend eternity. Will we be with God in glory forever? 
or will, be, will we face forever under his condemnation? And the passage in Ecclesiastes helps us there as well. Because Ecclesiastes tells us the way to life is not by pursuing moral excellence for the rewards we think it will achieve. No one is righteous. If we think we're going to get to heaven by being good, well, forget it. No matter how many charitable acts we do, how many times we fast, how many church activities we're involved in, you're never going to be good enough. So stop, stop trying so hard, you're not going to make it anyway. You'll only be disappointed, horrified, appalled, confounded. And while we're at it, wisdom is still elusive. You read every book, read all the arguments of all the philosophers from Aristotle to Albert Camus, no one will make you wise enough to reach God. Stop trying so hard. Wisdom's elusive anyway. Try to return a life by wisdom, you'll be disappointed as well. The conclusion is not, let's be wicked. The answer is, fear God. And remember, to fear God is to know who God is, to reverence and trust Him for His majesty and holiness, and to order your life in light of that. Where do we see God's character, His majesty, his holiness most clearly. We see it in the gospel, don't we? At the cross of Jesus, we see God's amazing love. He loves us so much that he paid the most terrible price to save us, unrighteous fools, from the fate that we deserved. At the cross of Jesus, we see the majesty of God's holiness and justice. He does not let sin go unpunished, even if he has to bear the punishment himself in order to save us. And then in the resurrection, we see God's faithfulness. We see him fulfilling his promise to his son and all his promises through his son. We see that he is the one who raises the dead and in the end vindicates the righteous. Yes, we will still struggle with the fact that seemingly good people suffer and bad people seem to get away with things. Yes, we know that part of the answer is no one's really good. Yes, we know another part of the answer is that the world is a fallen place. But more importantly, through the gospel, through this one man, we see ever so clearly the character of God who made both prosperity and adversity. And we know that he is good. We know that in Christ, God himself was the ultimate righteous sufferer and yet his death was not in vain. He brings good out of evil, life out of death, and we can trust him. Ecclesiastes calls upon us to fear God, to reverently trust him, even when circumstances cause us to doubt his character, even as we see bad things happening and we say, Aya, why me? Keep trusting him. Keep trusting his greatness, his goodness. Believe his promises. That, in New Testament terms, is called faith. And we are saved by faith. We are not saved by our righteousness or our moral excellence. No point pursuing that in order to be saved. We're not saved by our wisdom or knowledge. No point pursuing that in order to be saved. 
We are saved when we trust in the God who revealed himself to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we trust in Christ, we are clothed in his righteousness, not our own. And we are motivated to live lives that please him, to order our lives under him. No longer in order to be saved, but in response to the salvation that we have received by faith. And when we trust in Christ, we have access to the wisdom of God. For true wisdom is not found in human speculation, but in God's revelation of himself to us in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, do not be overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Fear God. Trust in Jesus. And you will escape in the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we are sinners and have no righteousness of our own. And we also know that affected by sin, we can never be wise enough to work out for ourselves your plans and purposes. But we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his perfect righteousness and for the righteous standing we have with you through him. Thank you for revealing your plans and purposes to us in him. Please help us to fear you and reverently trust your promises to us in Jesus. And even as we live now under the sun, please preserve us from the folly of wickedness and the trap of sin that so easily entangles. For those among us here who are already trapped in some way, please would you enable us to escape by repentance and faith in your Son. And we pray that you will help us as a community of your people to help each other turn from sin, to fear you, and to trust in Jesus to the end. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.